Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. I'm Ari Mizell. And I'm Nick Sonnenberg. And this is episode 225. Uh, that's a, that's a, I think that's a milestone in itself, actually, honestly. I remember when I was still doing one episode like every few weeks, and now we're at 225. That's awesome. So go us. Um, so Crushing what, it. Well, yeah. So one thing that I have not asked for in a very long time, and I'm going to ask for it now, is that if you are not subscribed to the Less Doing Podcast, then you need to subscribe. Because first of all, it'll save you from doing one more thing each week, because we know you're listening anyway, but you don't have to go and download it each time. If you subscribe in your podcast player, it will automatically download the newest episode right to your podcast player, whatever that is, and you'll be able to listen to it wherever you are, whenever you are, and make your life easier. So please do us a favor and go ahead and subscribe. And while you're subscribing, if you could leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. And we have a really cool new promo that we're offering. If you leave a review for us on the iTunes store, and mind you that we know that there's iTunes stores in different countries, and we're primarily only able to see the US one. So if you leave it in another country's iTunes store, that's okay. We just have to know about it. Uh, If you leave us a review and you sign up, for the VA service, so for the less doing virtual assistants, we'll give you an extra f- hour on us to use with the VAs, which is a $40 value just for taking a few seconds to leave a positive review about this wonderful podcast that makes your life better. Um, okay, so uh, also just a reminder that you can get all the show notes for today's episode by going to lessdoing.com slash podcast slash 225, so episode 225. So the first article I want to tell you about is from Scientific America, and uh, I love this. So it's basically, the article is called, The Sound of Your Voice May Diagnose Disease. And I thought when I started to read this, this was like one researcher, one study or something. It turns out there is a lot of people working on this technology and this idea, everything from the military to an Indiegogo campaign for an app. And the idea is that they're saying that they believe now that the sound of your voice can allow to you to screen for things like depression, bipolar disorder, mood disorders, and even respiratory and cardiovascular conditions. I would, I would imagine that the smell of your breath is a bit better indicator than the, than the sound of the voice, but... Okay. <laughs> um, well, actually, it's funny. If you ask Anna, she would say that, uh, like, you're the way that, 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 that you would be extremely sick if, uh, yeah, yeah, if that were the measure. Exactly. Well, you know, part of the problem for me, honestly, is like, I don't eat, I mean, I have a smoothie in the morning, but I don't really usually eat like a meal. And sometimes that ends up having me have a little bit of monkey breath, especially since I now, when I'm out in the Hamptons here, I put beef liver pills in my, um, my smoothie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but so it's pretty cool. Uh, they're, so they're, the Army is apparently using this to help diagnose uh, bipolar disorder and PTSD. Uh, there's a company in Berlin that's using it to diagnose ADHD. So, yeah. Uh, and there's also an Indiegogo campaign, as I said, for an app that's supposed to help you achieve optimal health and vitality. Um, so, you know, some of this, I think, is a little bit like buzzy, honestly, but some of it is real. And I think it's I think it's a pretty cool thing if you can use voice patterns to determine issues like that. Uh, this reminded me of something else. There was a really cool article in in the Times that are, a couple weeks ago, basically saying that they are finding a correlation between cancer diagnoses and Google search terms. So what they're finding is that people with like specifically like liver and pancreatic cancer there's a correlation that they search for specific symptoms on Google like months before they would actually be clinically diagnosed. Yeah, well, there was that book. um, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I'll remember later. But it was about how 
when the bird flu epidemic happened, they were able to predict where it was spreading to based on Google searches, right? Yeah, because really. people are Googling like, you know, symptoms, right? And enough people in a general area are Googling the same type of symptoms. It's like basically like the Department of Health went to Google to figure out like where this thing was, where the virus was spreading. It's pretty amazing, honestly. Yeah. Okay, so that, I thought that was really cool. Now, this is another one, and this is where I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're going to call bullshit on this one because I know you love buzzwords. So this is called Emma. I already hate it. I, okay, so <laughs> Emma, please, let me read this, okay? Uh, don't Emma. even read it. Let's just go to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick being uh, of the background of somebody who really actually does understand machine learning and numbers and, and, and artificial intelligence to some extent, really hates it when people use those words as like to get attention. Not saying that that's what this is, but it does seem like it. So it's called Emma or MANSI, which stands for Machine Augmented Neural Search Interface, which sounds very cool, is an autonomous AI built on top of a CNN trained using supervised and unsupervised learning. So basically, what the hell does that mean? Well, one, I don't know, but right. uh, tr- supervised and unsupervised, basically, it's kind of like uh, X.AI where they say human-assisted artificial intelligence. So it's probably, there's probably like 100 people in a room in some third world country that are doing these things. And there's probably some very simple algorithm that 100 people are overlooking. Yeah, so this is really weird. And this is honestly like, this is one of those things where, it's like a website that, that promises the world in some ways, but then you have no idea what it's actually doing. So they give, a, they give an example. Like you can ask, you can say, hashtag dossier on Liz Lemon. She works at NBC. And Emma will apparently, with the context, will get the name, the entity relation, they'll get an email, they'll put it together, a dossier on that person, which is great. But that's, that, that, to me, that's not particularly groundbreaking. Yeah, no, I mean like... When they, when they start saying like assisted and unassisted, I mean, basically they probably have some natural language processing that will uh, categorize it, right? So like, I don't know, they'll know that it should be sent to a researcher versus a travel specialist automatically. And then once it's in the hands of the right person, which is some automated process, then it's a human doing it. So it's right. nothing, I, I, nothing that I've seen so far is particularly impressive in that. Yeah, so I, if it was just worth mentioning because I feel like, Everyone's talking about bots. Like everyone's, it, 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 this is like, it's, it's just such, I, I hate when people do buzzwords. That's the thing. Like for just because, you know, and. No, we got to do, we got to get all these services um, together and then we'll interview my friend Serge, the rocket scientist, and we'll just go through and see what he thinks of Emma. Spot the fake. <laughs> <laughs> He'll rip it apart way more than I'll rip it apart. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, uh, all right. So now I got a couple ones that I actually do think are really, really, really cool. I can't think of the use for this one, but I love it. Okay, so this, have you, did, I, did I show you this yet? No. Okay, so this is called standupscreen.com. This is a physical, you can turn a physical whiteboard into a Trello board and it will update your Trello. So you can move, reassign, and delete tasks by placing magnets on your whiteboard and your webcam will automatically track the magnets and sync your Trello cards. You know, um, actually, I think, uh, you know, post-it notes. I think if you go to like postits.com, you can, um, there's like an app where you can take a picture of the post-its and it'll digitize them. I don't know if it's into Trello, but into an app in card form automatically. Really? Yeah. 
Okay. We'll put well, that. I'll, I'll look it up for next for the next show and we can put that in the show notes. But so this pro- basically this projects your board essentially onto the whiteboard and then you put magnets wherever you want. That's awesome. It is actually, right? Like I feel it, like it, it it reminds me of like Evernote with the stickies that you can put kind of. Yeah, in the moleskin uh, notebooks. Yeah. Absolutely. So Again, I'm having a, a little trouble figuring it out, but I guess if you're going to have, if you're, so, you know, uh, people who've been listening, you should know that like we implement Trello and Slack in most of the companies that we work with. So if you do have a company that does have a real physical presence with a lot of people in an office, I, this actually could be really useful that when you're having a meeting, rather than someone taking notes or creating action items, you just have the Trello board like live and it's like that. I mean, honestly, Nick and I, it's funny, we were, Nick and I were just having a conversation like this right before we, we started recording. Nick and I like think in Trello boards now, you know what I mean, right? Wouldn't you agree? Like, it's like, should, well, so this is an idea, like, are we gonna make this a card or should this be on this person's list? Like, we, we think in, can, in Kanban. I started off the day saying, do we really need this Trello list? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. So like, it's just funny. So this, this, I feel like, if we ever have a physical office at some point, this is, we'll just have this all the time. <laughs> this one's killing me. This is called Gerald. Gerald is every founder's startup therapist. You can text Gerald at 305-338-2148. Whether you need advice because you have no idea what the fuck you're doing or just need someone to text while drinking an old-fashioned at Menlo Park's Rosewood Sandhill Hotel to try and fit in and pitch investors, Gerald is the go-to. So basically, the way I see this, this is some guy in Silicon Valley who just wants to steal people's ideas. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Well, there was just that one that we were looking at too for the Slack uh, Slack bot that's a therapist, right? That costs like... Yeah, uh, but that's an actual therapist. That's like an actual yeah. clinical therapist. Yeah, this is just a guy that's... This is just, uh, like some guy with, this is just some guy with a cell phone number that you can... It even shows like a guy with like a, like a, like a frat sweatshirt. Let's see. And fit in and pitch investors. Huh. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to put out my, I'm going to put a number out for me and I'll say that anybody who has insider stock knowledge can talk to me about whether or not it's a good idea to go for it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I good for him if this works. I mean, but yeah. Uh, and then this is another one though that I think is useful and I almost want us to try this out. It's called uh, must read. So it's, it's build a controllable, actually, then this is something that we could use for some of our clients. So you write a message basically in Slack, uh, any like a DM or a channel message, whatever you want. And if you message at must read, it creates a daily digest that you get as a link like in the morning. So on the one hand, you think, you know, most messages are important in Slack, but the, the, the timing of this was funny because you know how the other day we were talking about how we might want to have a separate channel for uh, like really important change announcements or things like SOP changes or... Mm. policy changes this could do that basically so if you say you know at channel from now on we're doing our mon- our our you know monday meetings at or not even that i better want to be like hey uh at channel from now on we're going to be paying every three weeks instead of every two weeks and you know somebody's not available for a week so they don't necessarily see those messages we could say at must read and then that goes into a digest and it's like those are the most key things for the week but um can i know i know I know what you're thinking that there's certain like everything should sort of be important and not like how do you differentiate? Oh, well, also, um, you can star a me- you can star a message right for someone, can't you? In Slack, um, yes, you can. So, but what, but what I liked about this also though is that it actually shows if people've read it. So, see, look, you can say here's a list of the materials which haven't been read by your teammates, so you can see how many people have 
seeing those key things? I, I guess I, you, I would have to play around with it to see the real value, but I'm just worried that, you know, you, you're encouraging bad behavior and then people will just stop reading normal yeah, messages, right. the must reads. And then in the end, everything will end up being a must read. Cause then you're worried that people are missing the, the messages. And then it's just like, Right. Well, that, so that would be my concern is that everybody would start doing ad must read for everything. This, and so this is, this is like their value prop, which I, I think is actually a bad positioning for them. They say, is your message too small to become a task or a card or an issue, but too important to be forgotten, lost, ignored? That is a very, very gray area. Um, I don't like it. That's my official decision. <laughs> okay, so we get the thumbs down from Nick on that. That's fine. Uh, okay, so, uh, oh, another thing I wanted to mention to everybody is that we have a, uh, a really cool offer in place. We've had it for about a month now. If you go to workshop.lessdoing.com, you can check out a seven-minute video from a three-and-a-half-hour workshop that Nick and I did at the Genius Network event last October, and it was just we do, we dove very deep on Slack, Trello, how to use virtual assistants. It's very business focused, uh, but you can just go to that website and put in your email address, and for free you can watch a seven minute video. And then if you want the entire video, you have that option as well. But go to workshop.lessdoing.com to check that out. And then uh, Nick, we have some uh, uh, some business to talk about. Yeah, you want to start it off? Which business you particular do you want to talk about? The the, the hours milestone. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Uh, we broke 1500 hours of, uh, of work this week. So that was a huge milestone for us. I mean, uh, we, every month we're basically breaking records left and right in terms of revenue or hours. So yeah, we're really excited. And also, I don't know, last week we didn't talk about chart mogul, did we? No, I was just going to say, so a new tool that we are loving, right? I mean, I love that. I love chart mogul. It's a analytics dashboard that hooks into chargeify. I think Stripe and a few others. And it basically gives the most detailed analytics in terms of revenue that I've seen on any product. Um, it tells, uh, it has, it breaks down churn to such level of detail. It has gross churn, net churn, customer churn, quantity churn. Um, just tell people what churn is. Cause some people might not know. Basically churn is you know, over some time period, say 30 days, how many, how much you had back then of, of something compared to now. So customer churn would be 30 days ago, who were your clients? And of those clients from 30 days ago, you know, how many of them are still here? Um, the most important thing that we're looking at though, is the net churn. So that takes into account basically of, ever, of all of our clients from 30 days ago, what was our monthly reoccurring? Because some people, Based on your business, you might have various uh, subscriptions of different amounts. So if you have, say, 100 customers uh, 30 days ago, and of those 100, you only have, I don't know, say 50 uh, 30 days later, well, customer-wise, that would be a 50% churn on the customer. But if the 50 people that left were all only subscribed to, say, a dollar product, and the 50 that stayed are all subscribed to a $100 product, then your net churn actually in terms of like monthly reoccurring is, is less than 1%, right? So, you know, you have to be looking at all of these things, but the net churn really is what we care about the most. But it also shows you, you know, month over month, what's your growth, what's your growth, the customizable charts. It's really amazing. So, well, and, and, and almost more importantly, we've been working on, analytics has been sort of like our focus for uh, 
a little over, I'd say five, four or five, six weeks from now. And we've been looking at such big packages. We were even looking at um, Looker, which is a dashboard that's $1,000 a month. Uh, that would definitely give us more metrics than ChartMogul is giving us. But in the end, it's like, what is the one thing that matters the most? And, and ChartMogul, which is how much is it? It's like 50 bucks a month. It starts at that. I think uh, we'll probably end up probably we'll probably end up spending two hundred in the end. But I, at, at first, we're just going to do fifty. I mean, it even breaks it down to geography. You you can see what's your revenue per country, uh, per state, per city, how and many the customers you have in a in a well, and the and the cohort analysis. I think is really important as well. So you can see, like uh, you know, of the of the people that signed up in November, forty percent of them are still with you. Yeah. You know, several months later. So, but, and again, what I really like about this is that all of these other dashboard things that we've been looking at, a lot of the metrics that you get from them are really about vanity. Honestly, if you think about it, like, you know, revenue, revenue really is vanity, like profit. There was uh, this guy, Alan Miltz, actually, who I spoke with once on a, uh, on a stage. And he said, revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. Cash is king. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we're getting really detailed into the the most important metrics and you don't have to do any coding like nick didn't have to do like an sql database or feed all this different data and you just connect it to your stripe account basically and or chargeify and you get you get the information yeah and you know like some of these other dashboards like you mentioned we've played around with it and like you know you can connect your mailchimp account to see like how many signups you have to your newsletter but or, or, or Google Analytics and see like how many people are coming to the website. And to some extent, you know, if you're A-B testing a lot of different things and you're graphing it, that does tell you some stuff. But, you know, the, it, it's nothing really directly actionable from a lot of these vanity things. Like here, we can focus on the one thing that matters right now, which is our churn rate. And then like what we've done, which I think is really clever, uh, well, it's simple, but I think it's important is we made a rule like if churn is above a certain number, then we stop doing Facebook ads and we stop basically everything and we just focus on that one thing. Yeah, basically we have a, it gives us a hard number that we stop, to, you know, uh, spending money essentially on bringing in new clients and focusing on the current clients, re-engagement uh, and making them happy. Because if you think about it from a, from a business standpoint, if your churn is zero, then you're like almost automatically going to be growing the company and doing things because people, people are going to be using the service. They're not just going to be paying month after month and not using it. They will start to churn away. So it's really like that. That's such a good metric for how you grow the company. It's, it's, it's great. Um, so that was really big. And then the other one is that intercom is, is now, I, I think we talked about Intercom, but we're really digging into Intercom now. So Intercom is essentially the shared inbox platform, but really it also, it, it allows you to communicate with clients and leads in every place that they are and in a lot of ways that are automatic. So for example, now, if you go to the outsource, like to the, the uh, VA page on our website, the chat box will now pop up automatically and say, hey, is there a task that you're looking to outsource? We can help you. And it just, it, it helps just engage people at that point that you really want to help answer those questions. So it's a great tool for us. Uh, and then there was one other thing that we just started playing around with that I'm blanking on now. Uh, maybe that was uh, Are you talking about Abacus? For yeah, the yeah, 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 Abacus, that was it. So Abacus is a, it's for finances for 
essentially it allows you to do expense reporting very easily. So um, you have a main account and then all of the employees in your company or the users in your company would have their own accounts and you can submit receipts and it automatically will match those receipts up with your credit card and then the main bookkeeper, whoever checks all this stuff. And then it can even put push to you a direct message in Slack where you can just hit a button, approve or disapprove. So it's like really seamless. It's, it's great. We're doing good. Things are, things are going well. And you want to talk about the interview we got today? Oh, the interview today will be with Larry Love. He is one of the chess hustlers in the famous Washington Square Park and a close friend. And, uh, you know, apart from uh, you and Fran, I probably, he's probably the number three person that I spend uh, my time with. So, But you don't have him on Roger, right? He doesn't have that type of phone. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we try to have a pretty interesting variety of people on this show. Uh, and Larry is, yeah, as Nick said, a, a chess hustler. Um, so this is going to be a live interview that Nick's doing with Larry over a game of chess. I hope you win. Yeah, I'll, I'll crush him. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, hustling is something that we see at every walk of life in business and, and, and everywhere. So... Yeah, he's taught me. He's he's made me a better chess player and shit talker. Yeah, so, perfect. As you'll see in the interview. Okay, well, everybody enjoy the interview again. To check out the notes for this episode, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast slash two two five, and we will see you next week. Have a good hap- or have a uh, happy fourth. Yeah, happy fourth of July. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast, episode 225. I'm here with my friend and chess teacher, Larry Love. Hey! So, this is a really special guest because, one, Larry is probably one of the top three people that I spend time with in New York. After Ari and Francesca, I'd say I spend most of my time with Larry in the park. And Larry is a professional chess player in Washington Square Park, among other things. So... Why don't we start? Why don't you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into chess? When did you learn? Well, it started like this. I watched my brother and my father play chess, and when I questioned them to play chess, I was told I was too dumb to learn how to play chess. So I told my father and my brother, I'm going to go out and learn how to play chess. And when I do learn how to play chess, neither one of y'all will beat me. And I went out and got my kachabas whipped badly until I got the grasp of the game. But when I came back, neither one of them beat me. You know, they both gone, God bless them. But um, it was a hard road, but I love chess. This is all I do. So when you say you went out and you learned, like what did you do? Did you read books? Did you find like like how I found you kind of and just been playing, is that kind of, you, you had the same kind of experience? No, I've never read a book. I went out, I went to 145th Street and Lenox Avenue where they was playing chess at that time and I got lumps. They lumped me up. And one day, this girl used to beat me and she used to call me her... You can use whatever words you want. Pussy. <laughs> and... She used to beat me, and I walk across the bridge from Manhattan to the Bronx, and I used to cry. And one day I came back, and I seen this bum, and he said to me, Larry, you know how the pieces move, you don't know how to move the pieces. And I looked at his attire, 
And I pulled out my money and I said, I'll bet you. And he said, do you have a quarter? So I said, a quarter? And I pulled out my whole bankroll. Because I thought, you know, he's a bum. And we started playing. And we got into the middle of the game. And I grabbed the right piece and stuck it in the wrong square. And he beat me. And he said, Larry, remember when I told you, you know how the pieces move, you don't know how to move the pieces? And I said, yes. And he set the whole set back up to that position. And he said, you grab the right piece, move the right piece, which was my knight, and a different square. And when I moved it to a different square, I won the game. So it's a process that took a long time for me to learn. And um, Nick is, is one of my best friends. And he came from a bum. He's no bum no more. I want you to know that. All praise is due to him. You know, and we, we battle. We, we, we go at it. It's like, it's a love, a love affair. But we're not gay. <laughs> Let's make that, that clear. That. Yeah, yeah, let's just make 100% clear on that. We are officially not gay. Right. <laughs> right. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just a different type of love. Exactly. Exactly. So would you say I'm your best customer out here? Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. I would sure hope so. I mean, we play like... Uh, Five hours a day on the weekend, so. Easy, easy. <laughs> I call you, I text you every time I come to the park. I mean, I've always known how to play chess. I, I, my uncle taught me when I was eight, and he would always crush me. And he's a rich guy, and he has these fancy cars, and we used to play and bet for his 1962 E-Type Jag which I don't know how many hundreds of thousands it's worth. And I remember specifically when I was 11, I was winning the game and he started sweating bullets. And he starts offering, I'm 11, so he's starting offering me $1,000, $2,000 to, to call the game. And I remember the game, like, I could replay the whole game and I, I kept saying, no, no. And then I fucked up <laughs> and he beat me. <laughs> I still remember that one because it hurt. I, I, I can understand that. I can understand that. So, I don't know. You've never read a book. So, like, I guess a lot of people say, like, oh, you play chess. How many moves ahead can you can you look? I don't know about you, but for me, it's really, like, what's the next one best move? I'm not necessarily looking ten moves ahead, but what about you? Well, for me, it's close to three, maybe four moves ahead. You know, because I want to try to am ambush you or sucker you into making the wrong move. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. But it happens. Now, so, uh, no, sorry, but we're playing, just so those of you listening don't, don't realize, we're playing with a clock. So the games are five minutes, which means every move you make, then you hit the clock, and you lose if you either get checkmated or run out of time so it's speed chess so how different for you is the strategy around a speed chess game versus a game for no time a longer game how much more aggressive are you playing I, well i'm more aggressive playing speed chess for me now slow chess i started out playing slow chess that's how i learned how to play but today slow chess is just what it is 
true smoke. I, I, I can't do it. And I watched you play. I seen you beat a couple of people out here, you know. And I, I, I am so proud of you, you know, not only as a person, but as a chess player. You've done things that I never seen or never imagined. And you made it look so simple. You made moves that was like, I wouldn't have thought of that. Like your last game. I wanted to, initially when he made the check move on you, I wanted to take the bishop. But you didn't. You didn't. Then he took two coins from you, but you forced him in the corner where he had to give that bishop up. And you still had your rook, and eventually you won the game. And I got to give all hats all to you. I can't do that. I, I just can't sit no more. Since I learned speed chess, I can't sit. I get bored, basically. I get bored watching people play slow. Because one guy could take damn near 20 minutes. And you know, I didn't tell you this, but the, so basically it was such an honor because you had so much faith in me against that guy. I don't know what his rating was. I don't know, but um, you know, you're the first person. People have backed me in poker and some other things. You're the first person that ever backed me in a game of uh, chess, and that really was quite an honor that you really had that much faith in my ability and you know threw down twenty dollars on the game when I played this guy. And um, but in, with regards to speed chess, uh, I guess your time is money, right? You're sitting out here hustling, trying to get people up. So I mean. If you play a slow game, I mean, that's the equivalent of like maybe four or five people that you could have played in a speed game. So there's a big opportunity cost. But for me, I, I think I'm better at slow. But for me, a $5 game, a five-minute chess, gets my heart racing more than $1,000 in a poker game where I used to trade stocks for a lot of money. And uh, there's something different about speed chess that it's not even about the money. It's just... It gets your adrenaline going. Exactly. I mean, there's exactly. there's no better feeling, you know, when we when we get down to it, and then it's none. So, it so, some games we played, it's like one second left on the clock. You know, it's it's hard for any amount of money or anything that you're doing. It's hard to beat that adrenaline rush exactly. of slamming the clock. So, if, if for anyone out there listening, if you don't play chess, I would highly recommend getting into it it sharpens your brain i i play with larry sometimes when he's here during the week i play in the morning and just to wake my brain up and then i mean <laughs> sometimes it's anti-productive because i end up staying for too long admittedly but i mean <laughs> it really really does keep you sharp and sharpen your brain yes it does i love it this is all i do i i hear you so i mean are there any tips regarding chess or how would someone go and learn how would you recommend they, they learn oh you gotta jump in it's like jumping in the pool you can't swim you jump in the pool you ride a bike you fall you get up it's the same exact thing so how many years have you been playing i've been playing over 30 years without any break just like in the park for 30 years no, or no how many years have you been in washington square park oh, I, oh, off and on i would say 20 when you're 20, 25. 
so when in the periods you were off, what were you doing? Were you playing in another park or were you working or? I was working. I worked for the state of New York dealing with the mentally disabled. I worked in shelters. You know, um, I did maintenance. But my love is chess. I don't hang out. I don't party. I do everything here across these 64 squares. Drink my beer, smoke my cigarettes, and drink my liqueur, and have fun doing it. And with him, when I play Nick, I got to drink and I got to smoke because he do it to me right now. I mean, I'm literally killing you out here, huh? <laughs> Just remember when I go. <laughs> it was because of me. It was because of you. And also, uh, your daughter's an honor student and she's applying to Stanford. Yes, she is. Great. So let's wrap up here. So the, what we do with all guests, we, we ask if you could give just three tips to be more effective or th three tips in life in general. Any, it could be anything. Three tips in life. First, learn the game, play, learn how to play chess because chess is life, believe it or not. Second, do what you got to do for yourself, but do it for yourself. You're not doing it for nobody else, and you need to believe that. And third, be humble. Those are great. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much. This was really great. All right, well, thank you for listening, guys. <laughs>